If you like the Live Wild podcast and enjoy hunting-related apparel, I've got you covered. I just launched some great t-shirts, hats, and sweatshirts under my own Live Wild brand. You can find them now on my website, remywarren.com. I just want to say thanks again, everyone, for all the support, and I really hope you enjoy these designs as much as I do. Who knows? Maybe you'll head over to my website and find your next lucky hat. I'm Remy Warren, and I've lived my life in the wild. As a professional guide and hunter, I've spent thousands of days perfecting my craft. I want to give that knowledge to you. In this podcast, we relive some of my past adventures as I give you practical hunting tips to make you more successful. Whether you're just getting started or a lifelong hunter, this podcast will bring you along on the hunt and teach you how to live wild. This podcast is presented by Mountain Tough and Yeti. I partnered with Mountain Tough because a lot of the tactics and hunt styles I talk about in this podcast require you to be in the best physical shape you can. Their app is designed for hunters to get you ready for the backcountry or any hunt you have planned this fall. Yeti's been a longtime supporter of mine, and they make some of the toughest products out there that are built to last and they're built for the wild. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. So this week, we're going to continue our summer prep series. So far, we've covered summer scouting, uh, a little bit of e-scouting in there, and then last week, we did fitness. I hope you guys really enjoyed that episode. I know I really enjoyed it. There's there's a lot of things that we just gain by talking to an expert, and the fact that you know, at Mountain Tough, they've got that fitness lab where they're they're studying these things and giving us hard data on the things that we can do to improve. Uh, there's things that I'm doing that we talked about last week that, you know, when they start talking about it, that one leg strength, you think about it, you're like, oh yeah, that's such a big thing. And that's probably something that I would have just kind of not really thought about. So I really learned a lot last week. I hope you guys did as well. You know, this week I'm going to cover some prep stuff that just probably gets overlooked, but I believe is extremely important aspect of kind of any hunt you're going on. And so what we're going to do is we're going to be kind of hammering out the logistics, the behind the scenes stuff, that little pre-planning can go a really long ways with getting there and then getting your meat home, your animal home, including that transportation, maybe some camping stuff, skull prep, and, and what to do if you're hunting with someone else. Maybe you guys go in on a trip. You've got two tags. One guy tags out early. Now, what do you do with that meat? So before we do that, I just want to share the story of my past week's hunt. I was chasing feral pigs and goats with the bow and how I got the meat back when I really didn't have time to freeze it before heading home. So this past week, I was actually very fortunate to be able to go um, chasing feral pigs, goats, and some axis deer in Hawaii. Um, I was I was over there. Uh, some of the guys from Vortex wanted to do a little bit of a film thing over there, so I helped them out. Uh, I was kind of I had my bow. And I'm still shooting my mouth tab. So if you guys aren't familiar or didn't know, I've got I had an injury to my wrist earlier. I guess last year. This is kind of an ongoing deal. Um, had a surgery to get it fixed up, and then the surgery didn't go right. So uh, about back in so that was in February. In April, I had another surgery uh, to redo it. And, um, essentially had to go into, a after two weeks of, you know, recouping from that, then I went into a hard cast and, uh, still in that hard cast. So my original plan was I, by this point I was going to be shooting a normal bow, but I had some hunts this spring that I wanted to still go on bow hunts. So I learned to shoot with a mouth tab using my mouth to shoot is what it is. So it's like a little piece, a strap on the D loop that I bite down and then use that to shoot. And, you know, it's been a fun, it's been a challenge. And I kind of, in my mind was, wasn't sure. I, I was hoping that I'd be 
you know, back to essentially quote unquote normal by now, shooting whatever bow I wanted, whatever kind of release style I like. Um, but I have to start the process over. And, and part of me doing that early was the fact that maybe if something went wrong, I'd have to go into the fall season um, shooting that. So I'm in a f- hard cast now. And actually today I got the hard cast cut off. I was like, sweet. Okay. Now I can start getting ready, preparing, building strength. And, you know, by, uh, end of August, September, be ready to roll. And they looked at it and like, all right, we're going to have to put you back in a hard cast for another, another month, uh, which is fine. I, I'm all about, I I'm, you know, I'm here to, to recover and I don't want it to go on another year, but, um, so th- this past hunt, uh, you know, I mean, I'm in a full cast, which is not super easy. So essentially my right hand is completely useless. Um, plus I didn't want to get it, you know, jacked up or anything. So, uh, kind of not really using it for anything, but, um, I was taking those guys out. Uh, they're doing some filming. We taken out some new products as well and some other stuff, but just really putting together a cool, um, a cool film on just like gathering food and then doing like a big cooking thing afterwards. So th- those guys were hunting and I was kind of showing them around. And then I did a little bit of hunting as well. So the first day, actually the first morning as the sun came up, I, uh, I spotted like this, this really nice, what I'd call a ginger pig, like a red colored wild boar. And it had like this cool, like white patch underneath. And I took a few access deer earlier in the year. And so I really wanted to get some, some wild pork to put in the freezer. And then I thought, man, maybe if I get some opportunity at some goats or whatever, just kind of using this, this time to actually even just get more familiar and get some, just like more time in the field, more time hunting. I, I start to learn a lot using this mouth tab of just a new way of hunting. And, and because of it, I feel really prepared going into mule deer elk season. Like I feel extremely confident knowing that it's not going to be my first hunt when I'm chasing maybe a, a limited entry mule deer tag you go, okay. Like you know, things that are, that pop up on these hunts that I've done the past few months or past, you know, since February uh, are really just preparing me for the fall season and I've learned so much. It's like crazy what I've learned in the past, even just these few little trips. So, um, you know, I spotted this really cool pig, uh, first morning. I thought, ah, I really want to take that pig, but I also want to get these guys some, some deer and, and help these guys out, you know? So we ended up spotting some bucks and Mark, the guy with me shot a nice buck and then, um, shot a doe as well. And, uh, so we, we did that and I just kind of like forgot about the pig. And then, um, a couple of days later, you know, we were hunting some more open country and there's this kind of spot that I really like to hunt, but it's real thick, more jungle country, which is perfect for me with the, uh, with the limited range of the bow that I'm shooting. Um, not that the bow can't go far, but I'm anchored so low on that string. Like, you know, it's anchored in my mouth and I don't get a lot of range out of my sight and I've messed with other sites, but I just can't get it. You know, I was thinking trying a fixed pin site, multi-pin fixed pin site, but um, right now it's just, a, I've got my same site that I've always used and it just doesn't get a lot of range on it. So I'm, I'm in that 40 yards or less, which is really all you need anyways. Um, when I'm practicing and stuff, I like to be able to, you know, reach out to 50, but, um, and, and just with, you know, shooting, it's like, all right, I want to make a really, especially when we're, you know, I'm like, I want to make sure that I make a good shot. So I, I try to get into 30 or less. And so we're, we, we go to hunt this kind of jungle country and there's a lot of pigs in there and a few deer. And so we're, um, we're going up, we're climbing up the mountain. It's really thick country. And we just crested this one spot and this, I spot these axis deer kind of moving through. Okay. This is cool. They're pretty close. Uh, but one of the deer picked one of us off. Cause there was like myself, 
mark hunting and then two guys filming. So that's, that's a lot of people to be creeping through trying to do like uh, still hunting tactics or bush stalking tactics for some super skitterish animals, which we did. We still found success, but uh, in this particular instance, they, uh, they pegged us. So they run off and think, okay, so just going to continue working up this little trail take like two more steps and these three big boars were just bedded on the ridge in the in this really thick pocket and they blow out of there i'm like thinking oh man that sucks you know what are the odds that deer walks right where some pigs are bedded and we maybe it would have seen them but we just thought okay the deer spooked off and and then you just kind of drop your guard a little bit so we uh, continue walking but i had my arrow on my um bowstring so I just kind of kept it. I was like, okay, maybe there's something else right here. I don't know. I, I highly doubt it, but yeah. So start working up the ridge. And no joke, like maybe right where those deer had crossed through, I was kind of like looking for tracks. I, I take a few more steps forward. And here come three like big feral goats, big billies. And they're like 25 yards. And I was trying to get Mark because he had never – shot a feral goat and this area didn't really have feral goats so they've just moved i mean it's so thick you wouldn't really know what's in there it's just it, just for some reason this particular area had pigs goats and deer i don't know what if it's just a good crossing if it's just good bedding what it was but there was just three species of animals right there and i happened to be a little bit ahead of everyone so it was like now or never they they walk out the first one crosses they stop broadside i guessed him about 25 yards Drew back, my top pin was 20, my bottom pin was 30, so I just split the distance, focused on that spot, opened my mouth, and sent a perfect arrow. Um, I called it a jungle billy because it was just in this like thick tropical kind of jungle. And it ran over the kind of cliff edge, so we just waited a few minutes and started to blood trail it. Blood trailed it down and actually uh, expired in this canyon where it's it pretty cool. It was dry at this point, but you could see it was like – the water had carved out, you know, there'd been essentially been two waterfalls um, kind of carved out of the hill there. So uh, with my jacked up arm, I had to have some assistance, had some assistance uh, butchering the the goat. And then, um, you know, fast forward a few days later, we end, I ended up shooting a, a small axis doe for some meat. And then um, and then we, we split up this one part because Mark was going to go chase some goats and I, I spotted some axis deer bedded and I thought, okay, there's a couple bucks in there. I would passed up a lot of bucks. Like I was just looking mostly to shoot does. I, I, unless I saw like a giant buck, it was either does for me or a big buck, let the little ones grow. And, uh, so I decided I'm stalking these, these deer. I get up to where the deer are and it's just like, I'm about 25 yards. I'm set up. I'm ready. And they start popping up. And I see young buck, young buck, young buck. And I just can't get a shot at any of the does. And they move off. So I, I circle around to get a advantage of them. And I look back down. And sure enough, I see that, that ginger pig that I saw the first day right below me feeding maybe maybe 150 yards. So he's feeding pretty good. It's evening time. I, I stalk in. I'm by myself at this point. It's kind of self-filming. And, um, which is not super easy with the one hand. And so I, I crawl into about, uh, I think it was like 27 yards, 25 yards. And he's just feeding and I, and I, there's these little sticks. I'm trying to set my camera up. My cell phone is filming and I'm like trying to wedge it into between the trees. Cause I didn't even bring a little, I forgot my little tripod gorilla grip thing. And I finally just gave up on it after about 10 minutes. I thought this pig is giving me all the shots in the world. So 
I wait for him to turn broadside again, draw back, shoot. And um, he just runs over the ridge and expires. It's a really good shot. I was like, that's pretty odd. It was a really good feeling with the mouth tab, just making those, those good shots. So uh, butchered it up and then um, brought it back, refrigerated it. And so, you know, obviously it's a, it was a long plane trip back home. And generally I have time to, I'll try to, we're staying at a friend's house. So the logist, a lot of the logistics were covered because there's been times where I think of this time, actually, my, my brother and I were hunting in central Nevada. We both shot these two big bucks and, you know, we, my dad had a tag, he showed up and he still wanted to hunt. So we're like, well, what do we do with these deer? It's August, they're in velvet. And we ended up like rolling into this small town, uh, kind of late at night, finding a, like, we're just thinking, okay, is there a butcher or something where we can store meat? We go to the grocery store and ask the manager, like, hey, can we store our deer in your freezer? Like, we'll pay you. And the manager was like, no, we aren't allowed to do that. But you know what? We'll let you do it. <laughs> so they're like, just don't tell anyone. So I'm not going to even mention the town that we did it in. Um, so we actually had our deer, like, in the grocery store freezer in the back, just, you know, quartered up and put it in a box and tried to hide it amongst the things and our two velvet bucks, they thought it was pretty cool. Uh, but, you know, like a lot of the logistic things on this trip were taken care of, but um, we had we had the freezer full of meat and I had my meat in there and it, it just didn't freeze in time uh, by the time we butchered it and, and everything to go back home. So it's like, okay, well, what do I do? So I had a, um, what I generally do on when I'm flying is I bring those Yeti like backpack coolers and um, backflip or like the Yeti, um, soft-sided coolers and I this trip I brought two coolers and I had you know some of those Yeti ice packs so I froze those and most of the time I, I try to travel with it frozen so I, I decided okay it's not going to work this time I could leave it and then you know you try figuring out logistics of shipping or whatever the easiest logistic at the time is to bring it back with me so I, I packed the cooler with the fro the like the Yeti ice on the bottom layer of meat, another ice pack, a layer of meat, and then another ice pack. Um, I would have fit all the meat in there if it was frozen, but I, I ended up uh, having to leave a couple quarters, uh, front shoulders for a friend. And instead of uh, leaving the prime axis steer, I left him a couple goat front shoulders. So I hope he's enjoying those this week. <laughs> I don't think he was stoked that that was the cut I left, but I don't know. I like, I like to eat goat. Um, so I, I did that, and then I got to the airport, I asked him, I knew that I was going to have a fairly long layover, but I just had put frozen stickers on the bag um, because some airports actually have cold storage and the airport in Seattle does have cold storage. So I knew I was flying through there. I figured, well, they'll throw it in the freezer and won't maybe freeze anything, but it won't get any hotter. It won't be sitting out on a tarmac in the sun. So I got home, undid it. And so I had pork in there, you know, which you definitely want to make sure doesn't go bad. I had goat meat and I had, uh, deer meat, uh, access to your venison. And so I got home and I, you know, in my mind, it's like, okay, is this going to be good? And I vacuum sealed everything. So there's no air getting to it. I had those Yeti ice, but I, this was like the real test because I actually hadn't that I can remember had to f like travel long distance with some meat that's unfrozen or not on ice or whatever, you know, just to see how it worked. So I pulled, uh, some of the bigger hindquarters of the pork out and then just grabbed my meat thermometer at home, stuck my meat thermometer in the middle to probe it. And sure enough, it was as cold as it needed to be, actually colder than it needed to be to be food safe. That, just, that was just reassuring knowing, okay, it didn't 
it didn't overheat. It was a good way to travel with it. And, you know, by bringing, like covering the logistics of, I thought of what if I get something late and am not able to freeze it, this was my plan. And I ended up having to go to that backup plan and I was able to get my meat back completely safe, completely fine. Uh, now it's in the freezer and I've got some that I didn't freeze ready for dinner tonight. And just by taking care of those logistical things and thinking about a few logistical things, whether you're driving, whether you're flying, whether you're hunting elk, deer, goats, or pigs, there's a few logistical things that if you think about ahead of time can really save your butt because getting the meat home can be difficult. Getting uh, planning for certain scenarios that might occur during the hunt, doing that now ahead of time, like there's, there's plenty of pre-scouting you can do, e-scouting, you know, fitness and all these things. But if you don't have a few logistics ironed out of how you're going to get everything back, it can cause a lot of problems when it comes time to get your meat home or some other things that might arise during the hunt. When it comes to planning a hunt, there's just a few logistical things that I think kind of get overlooked or maybe people don't have, there's just not a lot of information out there on the easiest way or the best way to do something, to get something back. Um, you know, I, there's so much information on, okay, here's how you go hunting. Here's where you units, here's how you apply for tags. Here's how you do this. Here's how you do that. And there's really not as much information on, well, how do I get an elk home? How do I, what's the best way to, uh, do that? Maybe even just not even that, but there's just the logistics of like getting to your spot. All right. I'm driving. Um, I've got all my gear and stuff like that. Like, What's the best way to travel and transport stuff, uh, even to the hunt and back from the hunt? Um, thinking about things like, you know, what happens if you've got, let's say you're going out on a trip, maybe you're traveling a long distance. Let's say you're going to Colorado on an elk hunt. You live in some other state. You've got two or three buddies going with you, right? You get there, you set up your camp, your base camped, and then you're going to hike in. And one of the guys shoots an elk the first day and you're planning hunting 10 days. What, what do you do then? What is the, what have we figured out? Because many of the times when we get into these uh, places where we're going to be hunting, there's a, there's very few services. There's very little reception. Um, and there's, it makes it really hard to try to figure out a lot of this stuff. Uh, when you're up against the timeline of preserving the meat and trying to get everything back home. And then another thing to think about is, okay, let's say you're flying or driving. What about the skull? What about the antlers? What about that's um, a lot of states now ban traveling with any brain material or brain matter. So you can't just um, take the skull and just throw it in your truck and drive home. You have to do something and, and take care of it in some way. So I just figured I'm going to touch on some of the, I just think kind of some of the little stress points of, traveling and hunting and it doesn't even matter honestly like i think about hunts that i go on and hunting in nevada right it's like you live in one spot and your tag might be a six hour drive away and there's not a lot in between um there's a lot of you know you're, you're driving you're bringing everything with you but what are a few items and pieces of gear that just might make this a little bit easier it's super simple to bring you can throw it in the truck and it's gonna it's gonna kind of alleviate a few of these pinch points of like okay what do we do if somebody gets something early how long can we stay out there uh, how long can it hang? You know, some of those things. So I just wrote down this list and I think I'm just, I just kind of want to go over my list of, of things to think about. And it might just give you just a few of the logistical things of thinking like, oh yeah, I didn't, I didn't really think about that. It's especially important too. If you're going on your first Western big game hunt and you go, you know, a lot of people don't realize there's some places that are pretty remote and you go, well, yeah, I'm, I'm driving out there. I'll be fine. 
and you you drive out there and you you leave the last gas station and you don't have any gas cans and you haven't really thought about how close is the nearest gas station to where I'm hunting and if I'm driving around and hunting and I need to get back am I going to have enough fuel to get back or you're hunting an arid part of the country and you might need to bring your own water uh, the, just these kind of logistical things that a lot of people might not think about, but you definitely think about once you need it. And it's hard to figure out when you're already in the grind, when you're already there, the best time to do it is just right now. And so this is just a list of things that I think about on every hunt and a few things like if I'm going to a new spot, a few of the things that I like to just check ahead and say, what are my options? It doesn't mean that I have to commit to a certain option, but I've got backup options as well. Like I've hunted in Hawaii many times. I've got family that lives there. I've got access to freezers and other things, but I also plan for what happens if I get something toward the end of the trip and I can't freeze it. Uh, and I need to fly home with it unfrozen. What, what are some of the things that I can do to prepare for whatever scenario I encounter? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to break down some of the logistics into a couple categories. It would be travel logistics, just kind of getting there and, and some of the things to think about, camping and other stuff. We're going to talk about meat care, uh, some options that you can use for just taking care of that meat and getting it back home, and then as well as the skull care, and then just some ideas and things when it comes to or even just capes, that kind of thing, like the taxidermy end or, or the other things that you're going to be taking home. So let's kind of jump in right now to – the travel logistics. And first we have to kind of like look at that. Are we flying? Are we driving? You know, there's, there's benefits to both with gas prices right now. It's if you're by yourself and it's like, man, sometimes you look at it and you go, that's going to be pretty expensive, but flights aren't super cheap either. The nice thing about driving, obviously you can cover a lot of logistical things, um, just based on having stuff with you. And a lot of the, a lot of people, I would say most of the hunts that I go on is going to be, I'm, I'm driving, to the hunt but there are a few that's like yeah you are taking your travel you're flying to maybe you've got a a, a trip in alaska maybe you live in the east coast and you, you've factored in if i fly right i can have two more days of hunting for the same amount of trip as opposed to driving or maybe even four more days of hunting um for the same same amount of time being gone so you know a, a lot of these things are going to be uh, you, you can kind of think about whether you're flying or driving, but you know, as we start to talk about meat care and other stuff, you, you can kind of write on the list, say, okay, well, here's what I need to look into because it's better for my style of travel, right? So we've got to think about it in a couple of ways. Everything that we're doing, we're going to hunt somewhere. So we've got to get our gear there and then we have to get the animals back. Um, but here's just a few of the, the things to think about, whether, even if you're like, you're, you're renting a vehicle, you fly in, you're renting a vehicle and you're driving somewhere. Uh, one of the things that I always look for is I'm going to go on to Google Maps and I'm going to drop a pin on my planned hunting location and I'm just going to do a search and say uh, gas stations, gas services near this point and, and factor in that distance. Because there's a lot of places where you can go out west and you think, okay, there's gas stations. You know, If you're used to living in a place where there's gas stations everywhere – a lot of people don't think about this and I've run into people um, out in the middle of the high desert that are like plumb out of gas, right? They were hunting, they drove out there, they're now at a half a tank, they hunt around for a few days and then they start driving back and they run out of fuel because uh, they're in four-wheel drive and they weren't expecting to burn through so much gas um, and they don't have any cans because they just figured they would go fuel up. 
And that's not always the case. I mean, for the most part, a lot of places you don't have to worry about it, but there's a lot of places that you do. And it's something that people maybe don't, it's not top of the mind. Um, so that's one thing that I do is, is kind of factor in, okay, um, obviously I'm in a place where I might need some more extra fuel and, you know, plan accordingly. That's the one hard thing is like most of the places you're flying to, you might not have to think about it, but sometimes you do. Um, and then another thing is water. Uh, okay, where I'm camping, what's kind of the water situation where I'm at and how much water am I going to need if I can't find good potable water where I'm camping? Because you think about it, oh, well, if I'm hunting somewhere, there's got to be water for the animals. And that's not always the case. Like there's a lot of places in Arizona where I've hunted and yeah, there might be water, but it's so tainted by mining and mercury and other stuff that you don't want to drink it. Um, and you go, well, how do I know? And sometimes you don't. So what I do is I plan on, uh, packing the water that I'm going to need for that hunt or saying, where's a town that I can, I can, okay, I can bring a jug and here's a place that I can fill up at a gas station or something. I can tap, you know, fill it up with their hose or something like that. But just thinking about that and saying, okay, what kind of hunt am I going to need water? Now, if I'm hunting somewhere in Montana, I say, that's probably not going to be a problem. There's probably water in every Creek that I'm hunting. I've got some, my water purification and it's not a problem, but there are places that you, you're going to hunt. So you got to just say, okay, what kind of hunt am I doing? Is it a pronghorn hunt out in the prairie? Uh, that might be a, a case where it's like, hey, I, I want to bring good potable water. So I don't even have to worry about it. I don't have to waste the time trying to gather water out of just a, a subpar water source. And then, you know, have to filter it and do all that stuff where it's like, okay, I'm driving and I can just bring water with me. Just something to think about. Another thing to think about is, you know, that idea of, okay, where am I going to set up a base camp? And not just where am I going to set up a base camp? There's a lot of places where I'm going, right? And I'm traveling multiple days to get to, it might be a 20 something hour drive and I leave in the afternoon and it's like, okay, I'm going to pull off and sleep somewhere. Uh, for me that I've found, what I like to do is I'll find those locations. I'll pull out my go hunt maps and I'll look at routes on the way. I Google my route, right? And I've got, okay, here's a halfway point. That looks like a good point. And ahead of time, before I even leave, I pull out my go hunt map and I just start looking for public land that touches the road that I'm on. Because for me, I would rather just camp somewhere with my stuff than get a hotel along the way. One, it saves money. And two, I don't really like having to tote all my stuff inside um, and I don't trust leaving all my hunting gear in the truck sitting in front of a hotel or motel in some town that I don't know. I've had that experience, you know, you, you're traveling across the country, you roll into a town that you don't know, you find the closest hotel and you're like, I'm in a really bad part of town. I've got, you know, my life's like, I can't replace the gear that I've got. So if it gets taken, that's it for me. It's going to take me years. It's taken me years to acquire. It's going to take me years to replace. So I just don't want to take that risk. I'd rather just find a good piece of public land along the route where it's like, okay, here, whether it's maybe not even a campground, but it could be a campground. Um, or just, it's like, oh, here's a public access road. It's BLM. It's forest service. I feel comfortable pulling off there, camping there. That way I'm sleeping with my stuff. Uh, when I pack my stuff, I actually just pack what, however, I'm going to sleep easy to access. So I can just roll out my sleeping pad or whatever I do. Um, or if it's like, a, I might have to set up a tent, whatever, if it's raining or just sleep in the truck, whatever I got to do. Um, but I like to plan that out ahead of time because it, it, there's been times where I'm just driving and I'm like, all right, there's got to be, and you miss an exit, you miss a turn, you miss a whatever. And if I just take the time during while well, the, the hunt planning phase to plan the travel as well, 
it saves me time. It saves me money. And it just seems like a, a safer way to kind of find those good places to, to pull off and stop with all my gear and with all my stuff. Um, because you're carrying a lot of specialized gear and I kind of, I like to protect my gear and all my stuff. And so, uh, if I can do that, that's, that's a really good way that I've found to do it because I do it a lot. And, um, just by that one little step, man, it makes the hunt go so much smoother. Um, or at least the travel portion of it. Now there are, there are times where, okay, there's something to be said for, okay, after the hunt, it's like, maybe I do want to get a motel. I'm going to take the time to bring my stuff in. Um, maybe I don't want to do it every day that I'm traveling, but, um, you know, researching the different types of motels that are around and maybe some of the amenities that might be conducive to hunters. Right. So as we talk about meat care, there's a lot of times where I've, I've called an area that I'm going to be hunting. I know I'm going to be backpack hunting. I'm going to be camping, but Hey, maybe I've got a long drive back and I want to find a hotel or motel in the area. It's like, Hey, do you guys have freezer space? Do you guys have somewhere that I can store something in a freezer? And you'd be surprised how many actually do, especially in small towns that kind of cater to hunting. There is a lot of like that where it's like, is it cool if I use a little bit of freezer space um, to cool some meat, to do whatever? And you'd be surprised if you, if you call ahead and ask about it. There's a lot that actually do offer that kind of service. Um, or you can even just scroll through some of the descriptions in there and find like you know, they do have a freezer. Um, sometimes it's not big and sometimes there's not a lot of room, but it's enough to refreeze your ice packs or do things like that, which actually uh, can help in a lot of situations. And I've utilized that a lot as well. Now, another travel logistic thing to think about, whether you're flying, especially if you're flying, or if you're driving is like that thought of when I get to my hunting spot, I don't necessarily worry about it so much when I'm driving, but when I'm flying, it's like, okay, I get to my hunting spot. I'm going to go out and hunt, but how do I verify that my scope and gun or bow sight or whatever didn't get jacked up on the trip over? Because I make it a rule that if you're flying somewhere, you better shoot your gun if you're rifle hunting before you uh, go out into the field because I've, that's the only time that I've ever had a gun. I've dropped plenty of firearms in the field, never had them off, but for some reason, whatever they do behind the scenes in the airport, it can mess up some scopes for sure. Um, so that's something that I always look for. Where I'm going into, is there a, a public range around? Is there a piece of um, public ground where I could just go, you know, find a spot to shoot? Or is there a, something to think about in dry, arid areas? Is there a fire ban where they're saying no shooting right now in early season hunt? Uh, one of the things that I do for archery hunting, if I'm driving, I bring a target because it's nice to just f shoot in the middle of the day if you got a little bit of downtime or whatever. Um, if you don't have a target, what I do, I always pack a few of those, um, they call them blunt tips, just like a rubber blunt tip. I'll put that in my pack. I always have them in the backcountry. I always have some in my base camp, whatever. And then I can shoot my bow at a pine cone at something I don't risk breaking an arrow. And, um, you know, just make sure you flex it after you shoot at something hard like that but um try to avoid rocks but just finding a place where it's like okay i know at least at 20 yards i have the left and right's on the up and downs on i shoot them before i go and i shoot them when i'm there and i can shoot them in the field and it's a good way to just kind of verify your zero and make sure that everything's everything's right because you don't want to get in and travel all that doesn't spend all that money on tags and other things and have your one shot be messed up by you know not knowing that something happened on the journey so just another little thing to think about now let's talk a little bit about meat care. And I think this is a this is a big one when it comes to planning and preparing for your hunt and just saying like, okay, I, I figured out how I'm getting there. I figured out where I'm going. I figured out what I'm going to do, but how am I going to get the meat home? And I think one of the first things that kind of comes to mind is that 
traveling with a couple of guys, right? And you've got, everybody's got a tag. Everybody wants to hunt. You know, if you go out and someone in your party's successful, that's awesome. And that's definitely the goal. And I think, you know, for the most part, when I'm hunting with someone, it's like, all right, if we get something, um, that's great. But, you know, what happens if somebody shoots something on the first day and you're planning on being there for 10 days? Kind of factoring in the logistics of what you can maybe do um, to extend your stay and extend the life of the meat and make sure that everything's good. So I think that there's a couple, obviously everything is very dependent on the weather outside, right? I get the question, like, how long can I hang out quarters for? And it's, well, if it's November in Montana, you could probably hang it all week. Um, to be honest, like the temperatures will be low as long as it's not wet. You can tarp it and keep it dry, like keep the sun off of it, keep it in the shade, keep air circulating around it. There's probably no limit really to how long you can hang it. Um, I mean, I wouldn't hang it for 20 days, but I mean, if the temperatures are right, you could, as long as it's not like freezing and thawing, freezing and thawing. Uh, for the most part, you could probably get it in a cooler. So what I like to say is, you know, in those, let's say it's a September archery hunt and you're getting hot days and cool nights, you know, you could probably go a couple days with that, but I would probably be under the, I'd be more inclined to get the meat out. I'd like to think about it, whether there's people there or not. Um, what would I do if I was by myself? And if you're by yourself, you're going to get the meat out as soon as possible. And that's the good way to guarantee that uh, you get it out. Now there's, there's trips where um, I've been in flown into Alaska, right? And you're getting picked up seven days later and you sh somebody shoots something on the first day and you, you make a shelter for the meat and you hang it and it's still fine. You know, I've hung meat in um, those 40 degree temperatures for up to a week. Meat can survive a lot. I think that whatever you, I'm, if you get sick, don't blame me, but uh, I think as hunters, you kind of realize like in America, we definitely baby our meat a little bit. Like we, we fear it almost in a way where, you know, a lot of other places in the world, a lot of meat sits room temperature before they cook it. So you don't have these like, actually a lot of restaurants do that too, where you don't have these like big temperature swings and cooking your meat. And I know I do that. I'll, I'll leave it out and for more than just a couple hours, like let it get to that room temperature. So when I cook it, I don't have these big uh, temperature swings, but you know, as a hunter, you realize like, okay, you, you kind of start to, the more you do it, you get, you get a real feel for, okay, how long meat can go. And when it starts to like what it looks like before it starts to get bad. So, you know, okay, now, now we're in crunch time, kind of starts to get a little bit slimy. It's not drying out. It's wet conditions here. Uh, you, it's a little bit dependent on how, where, when, and why you're doing something right. But for the most part, kind of thinking about some things that you can do or ways that you can uh, maybe keep that meat longer or is always something good to think about. So kind of starting to think about that end game now. And so one thing here, here I'm going to go through a couple options. So I like to, I personally really enjoy processing my own stuff. Um, so when I go on a trip, I bring stuff for processing. So even if I was, um, let's say we got a, me and my brother are going on an elk hunt in Wyoming, right? We get to the trailhead, we drive there, um, in my truck, I'm going to have a couple items for processing. And it's not a lot of stuff. It doesn't take up a lot of room. And I've done this flying as well. I just kind of adjust the size of things. So one thing I'll bring is a, a vacuum sealer. And my truck has a little, you know, a plug that I can run it off of. Um, so that that's nice. I bring a cutting board, like a decent-sized cutting board. I bring paper bags because uh, I use paper bags a lot for butchering. Um, I find that, you know, especially it's something that's disposable and you don't have to clean. So I'll put the cutting board on the tailgate. I'll, I'll cut onto the paper bags because it kind of holds everything. It's a good way to kind of get that 
you know, silver skin off and other things like it's kind of sticky and then you can roll it up and burn it. Um, and then if I bring a cutting board or something, I'll actually oftentimes have a meat tub that I can clean stuff in. So like a, a tub that's like, okay, I can clean my knife in it. I can put some, boil some water, pour it in this tub or whatever, a small meat tub, um, put the cutting board in it, something that fits the cutting board and just clean things up really well. Uh, it also works nice too because it's a place to set your meat that's clean. Uh, but you can always use your game bags and your coolers because you're going to have those things as well. Um, so that's something that I bring. Now, if I'm flying somewhere, I kind of do the same thing where I'll bring like a small vac sealer, like the bag kind, um, a cutting board, and then uh, and also just like a good butcher knife. Um, I use this uh, it's a Gerber folding um, fillet knife. It's for fishing, but it's like this awesome foldable fillet knife. It's the best butcher knife. I, I use it at home too, but it's great for traveling as well. Um, and then that, that's a one way to think about it, right? Now, another thing is in the area where you're hunting, calling ahead and finding some butchers in the area. It's like, maybe there, that's a good option where you can drop it off at a butcher. And here's a few questions that I always ask when I call and thinking about, okay, well, if I get one early, right, is there a butcher in the area where I, we can just, we can pack it out, we can go drop it off. And then, uh, we know that we can, you know, pick it up when we get back. So I find a butcher in the area and and there's a few questions that I ask. First I ask, Hey, do you have like freezer or refrigerator hanging space where we could pay to store meat while, you know, we're hunting, if you're going to just take it home with you afterwards. Another thing I ask is, is there a way like, well, obviously first do they process game? And if they do, is there a way that you can do a rush on it? Some, a lot of butchers in a lot of areas will do a rush where it's like, yeah, they will, you pay an extra fee and they get it done. So by the time you leave, it's ready to go. And that's a really good way to do it for a lot of guys um, that are continuing to hunt with someone else or maybe have multiple tags and you go, okay, I, I don't have time to deal with this, but I know that it's taken care of because that's the most important thing of the hunt. It's the reason you're going out there and you want to make sure that everything's taken care of, right? So you know, if you can get it before he comes back, before you go back, that's a great logistical way to do it because you don't have to pay for the shipping. Once you start trying to ship meat and do all this stuff, it gets super expensive and it gets kind of additionally logistically complicated. So bringing everything back with you is, is hands down the best way to do it. Um, another, th- another question that I ask when I call butchers, hey, do we get our own meat back? Or when you do a grind, are you just giving us a, a number or percentage of like you weigh it and then you butcher something and, and send it back. If that's the case, I, I avoid that like the plague, but that's just me. You, you do you. Um, I just don't want to get somebody else's meat because I don't know how well they take care of it. Uh, and then, you know, and then another thing to think about is, okay, you know, maybe you say, look, I'm flying somewhere. I'm hunting an elk. I don't want to deal with it myself. Is this somebody that is a butcher that is familiar with shipping stuff? And is that even an option? Because that's something to look into. These are all the things that you want to kind of think about and some ways to kind of look at ways to to get your meat back home. Now, another option is, you know, bringing it back yourself. And I, I mean, the main way is going to be through coolers. I use Yeti cooler. I've got one way that I pack it is I've got essentially a cooler that is just for bringing meat home. And when I load that, it doesn't matter if I'm going on a, a multi, like a multi-state trip where I'm going across a state and long travel, or if I'm just hunting in an area that is nearby, I pre-chill my cooler. I load it with uh, block ice. Then I fill it with, um, crushed ice to kill the dead air. And then I put like those frozen ice packs. I use the Yeti ice or there's a lot of other ice packs, like just frozen ice packs. It's actually colder than the ice itself and it keeps it frozen really well on top of that. So I, I kind of do this layer system. Sometimes I'll do that on the bottom, 
block ice and then fill it a cooler full of ice so it's like this is my ice cooler for when i get back so if you've got that at your trailhead then i'm taking those elk quarters or deer quarters or whatever and we're going to continue hunting i'm going to hang it first you know overnight let it air let it cool down naturally so it doesn't melt the ice when i put it in the cooler and we're going to pack it out we're going to put it in that ice and we're going to put it on top of the ice if we can you know sometimes you get a cooler and you get a lot of meat and you've got to, you've just got to adjust right um but you just don't generally want it sitting in water if you can help it um but sitting in cold cooler water is better than uh sitting in the sun <laughs> that's for sure um so you know we're gonna we're gonna put that in there and then we've got it on ice so we know okay well it's taken care of it's cooled it's chilled we're gonna be okay um, and you can go out and hunt and continue your hunt with however you're gonna do it now another little thing to think about let's say you you're going out on a hunt and you've got a couple of buddies maybe there's four of you and you plan on like hey man let's take two trucks we've got two vehicles maybe we're gonna hunt different spots uh, one guy's got all the coolers in his truck whatever uh, one thing that I bring is um, some paper, maybe a printed out thing, a pen of make sure you know the, the, the laws in the state because there's times where you're going to be on a hunt, right? Maybe you've got multiple vehicles or you're in the back, like you're, you've got a deer and you've got another guy got a deer and he's going to drive into town with it and drop it off somewhere. I always bring something to make sure that the transfer of possession is done legally. And that's something that a lot of people might not even think about. It's not top of the mind. You go, oh, I didn't even think about that, right? Uh, you're, you've got a deer tag, your buddy's got a deer tag, and you've got an elk tag, right? And you go, you go in the first day and you both shoot two mule deer and it's like, awesome. Uh, you load it up in his truck and he's like, hey, I'll just take this into town. We're going to hang it at the butcher. And you go back up and elk hunt, right? Well, if you if he's just transporting your meat with a tagged deer, in most places, that's not legal. He has to have some form of transfer of possession where you say, yes, this guy's transferring it from this point to this point. I give him permission. Here's all my information. And so I always make sure that whatever state I'm going to, I look up those rules. I print up whatever forms they need because in many places, you need a specific form. In some places, you can just kind of write up what that form entails, uh, your license number, all that other stuff. But that's something that I always have in with my game bags in a plastic bag even if i'm like i mean i take it to the point of like when we're in alaska my brother and i and we're hunting and we're packing out an animal um i know it's crazy and i don't even think they would like we have those transfer of possession forms when we're packing out stuff that's how anal we are about it like if, if he's carrying a quarter of mine then i've got like a, he's got a transfer of possession form while he's carrying it to camp um I, that's just like i'm just <laughs> like dude this dude is anal for sure um but you know like just covering all those little things and and i don't think that for the most part like you know most states don't it's like once you get to your place of like your base camp or whatever but just having that and thinking about that so it's not something that you get there and you go oh shoot what did we need to do with this this is just something that we've already prepared and already thought about um to make sure that we're we're checking off all the things that we need to do now one thing that's uh, kind of in recent years definitely been a new, I don't know, I mean, with CWD and the spread of it, you can't really transport skulls and other thing, or you can transport skulls, but not brain matter, right? Spinal fluid, brain matter, many places, everything has to be boned out. So one of the things you got to think about is, is that skull care and, and how we're going to get the skull back and what you're going to do with the animal after you get it right you you you've got on you went on an elk hunt 
you shot your first, maybe it's your first, okay, shot your first bull and you're like, heck yeah, this is a great bull. I'm going to do a European mount on it. Um, just, just boil the skull. And a lot of people don't know how to do that themselves. So they just, where they live, they just go and they, they shoot a deer. They take it with the hide on it to the taxidermist. The taxidermist skins it out and they do the skull and they get this nice bleached skull with the antlers and it looks great on the wall, right? But what about if you're in a state that you're traveling to, you shoot an elk on the last day of the hunt and now you've got to drive home? Well, what do you do in order to get that animal back legally and, and the procedures that you need to? Because you got to think about all the scenarios. What if I get it in the first part of the trip? What if I get it at the tail end of the trip, right? Um, so there's a couple of things that I do. One thing that I started to carry in my kit now uh, because of this is a good saw. Um, one that I found, and I was like, I'm actually going to, right after I record this podcast, buy like three more on Amazon or online somewhere. Um, so I make sure that they don't like stop making them and sell it. But uh, Gerber makes this saw. It's called the Freescape. I used to use a like a Wyoming saw, but just all the pieces and the weight. This Freescape saw is like a engineering marvel. I just showed some buddies it the other day and they're like, dude, why does not everyone own one of these? It literally is like, I think of like a folding pocket knife, but this thing folds out into like a full handsaw. If you're draw, driving somewhere, you know, you could always just use like a, a carpentry saw, whatever kind of saw you got. If you got a sawzall, that works great too. Uh, for flying and traveling and even in like the back country sometimes, I'll just keep store it in my uh, base camp because if I want to just, I'm like, I don't want to pack out the whole skull. I'm just going to skull cap it. Uh, it's nice to have that that better saw and it's not a lot of weight. It packs up really nice. It doesn't take up a lot of room if you're flying somewhere, uh, but it allows you to skull cap the animal. Or if you're going to keep the skull intact for a European mount, what I do is like the base of the, it's called the occipital. I think it's the occipital joint, right? Where the skull attaches to the spine, kind of goes over the last vertebrae. And if you cut that off, it actually doesn't mess anything with your European mount, but allows you more access to that brain cavity. So it's not this little hole, it's a bigger hole in the back. And, um, you know, I, I scoop it out. I'll actually pack like a little bit of borax, uh, you know, like, or even just, you know, find a grocery store and get like a box of like, if you're flying somewhere, I'll just go local grocery store, get like a box of um, sodium, by, what's, what do you call it? Baking soda, sodium bicarbonate. Uh, and, and just, you know, packing this, so you can clean the brain out. You can, I mean, I've even taken them to, I'm probably sure if you own a, a car wash, you don't like people doing this, but take it to a car wash, give it a little blast, um, and then throw some stuff in there to dry it out. And that's a good way to just kind of be, okay, like, okay, I can transport this now because the thing that they're worried about is now removed. Um, and you don't, you know, you're, you're following the rules. Another thing to think about is like, the capes. What do you do with the cape? Salt them. I mean, a lot of people, if you don't know how to do that, if you don't know how to skin flesh cape, then another thing is like, okay, where's a taxidermist in the area and what kind of services do they provide and what kind of timelines can they do it? And can you bring something in and they say, hey, uh, flesh this out. Can you, uh, you know, can you skin it out, cape it out? I just, I say like, you know, the more you can learn ahead of time, like learn how to cape your own things. If you've got, if you aren't going on a Western big game hunt yet, right? But you're like, hey, I hunt whitetails and whatever. When you shoot a whitetail, man, do all this stuff. Learn how to cape the face um, because at some point you might want to mount something that you get in the backcountry and that's the best way to do it. You know, I mean, everything we take 
uh, we just cape out. We don't even, you know, there's no sense in carrying bottom jaws and hides. We Even if we're doing the European mount, we cut the bottom jaw off when we're packing it out because it's just a more streamlined way of doing it. You've got a lot of gear. You're in there a long ways. It's best to just take as little as you need to, right? So you just don't need to take the bottom jaw and the cape attached to the skull. And you see that all the time. And it's like, man, that's a really awkward way of doing things uh, because there is a better way to do it. It just takes a little bit of time and a little bit of practice. And there's ways to practice whether you're out there or not. You know, you shoot something that you can get your truck to. Still, just that's something good to practice on, something you aren't going to mount and don't necessarily care about, but you learn the way to, to properly take care of that. Then one of the things that I bring and think about is I'll actually bring like saran wrap and I'll, I'll roll those capes up. Yeah, if I've got some way to freeze things, I'll saran wrap it, freeze it, and then you can take it to your taxidermist that way so you don't have to salt it um, or flesh it. So that that's just something to think about another way of like just getting stuff back. Now, one thing that I'll be encountering this year, maybe some guys early mule deer hunts, velvet antlers, they're a pain to deal with. So you have to kind of think about, okay, what's the logistics of getting velvet antlers back? And I would say if you want them to look right, it's as delicate as meat or more. It either needs to be frozen right away or um, preserved in some way. There's a company now that's called Velvet Lock. It's the easiest way to do it. Um, you just spray it on. It's better than injecting. I've had good success with it so far. So, um, you know, I mean, I could tell you 10 years down the road what everything looks like, but I, I, I actually feel like it's it works really well because um, I've seen stuff that other guys have done with it and it looks really good. I actually think it's better than a lot of the injection stuff. So, um, and it's super easy spray bottle, something you can throw in the truck. If you're, if you got a velvet deer hunt, I know I'll be taking it with me this year. So, um, that was a cool thing that I found a few years ago. Actually one of those, I think I saw it at, um, hunt expo in Salt Lake. Um, but I'm sure you can find that online. So just another thing to think about when you're talking about the logistics of thinking about, okay, the end game, when I plan my hunts and I'm, I'm planning this during the summertime and the off season, you know, I'm, it doesn't take much to make a few phone calls to think about the little things, the little details of, okay, what am I going to need? How am I going to get it back? Because there's so much emphasis on planning for the hunt, right? But what about getting there, getting back and bringing everything with you? So a couple of these little tricks, a couple uh, different pieces of gear. Another thing that I do bring sometimes, I might've talked about this before is I'll just try to bring like if I, especially if I'm deer hunting, I don't need to bring a giant pot, but if I'm driving, I'll bring like a pot where I can actually just boil the skull out right there. Um, and then I also bring uh, aluminum foil that I wrap the antlers in so they don't get all the fat and grease and everything on them. I've got, uh, you know what, I'll probably post a video or something on our YouTube soon, um, just how to how to boil a skull. There, there's better ways than boiling a skull, like maceration techniques and other stuff. If you've got beetles, that's great. But when you're in the field, you're in the camp, you're at your base camp at your truck and you've got a day to kill, um, I'm boiling my skull and cleaning it right there and then um, probably pressure washing it. Uh, at, a, at some <laughs> at some car wash somewhere, um, so that's just that's just the way that I do it. But uh, just some things to think about, and I hope that that helps you guys prepare for your upcoming hunt. You know, if you've got any questions or whatever, you know, feel free to reach out to me via social media. And yeah, I, I think that just kind of going through those things, you're going to be a lot better prepared for your upcoming season. So to round out our summer prep series, next week we're going to be talking about gear. I've been building out the last couple of weeks, I've been building out some pretty extensive gear lists. 
And just some like little things to think about, a couple cool things that I found over the last couple of years, um, some new stuff that I'm trying out. But I think that just like that, that gearing up portion is always fun to do. A lot of people ask about gear. So if you have specific gear questions, please uh, shoot me some messages on social media because um, at Remy Warren on Instagram is a good one. Um, that's probably the best one, to be honest. Uh, shoot me messages there, maybe, or even just in some, if I make a post, um, just drop some comments in there. And, and what I'll do, I just try to, I read through those and try to just gather some information of the type of things people are looking for. But I'm going to run through kind of my entire gear list. And um, I think that'll be pretty beneficial. And, and it's fun to do, you know. I, it's like as Western big game hunters, well, a lot of mountain hunters, actually pretty, all, pretty much all hunters. I think a lot of us are gear heads gear junkies so it's always fun to kind of talk a little bit about gear and i've tried i've been fortunate enough to try a lot of gear um i always say like if you want me to uh if you want to know what's wrong with your gear give it to me for like five seconds because i've tried so much gear i can generally figure out what i'm not gonna like and what i really like about it pretty quick um and there's some stuff that like surprises me i'll tell you there this last year there's something that i uh thought that i would never take and then uh, i was on a hunt with someone and they had it and and I'm like, I don't know if I could live without it now. So just those little things, you know, a little bit of creature comfort too. Um, so we'll just go over some of that stuff next week. I'm really excited about that. And what I'm going to do too, as the kind of capstone to our uh, summer prep series, I'm going to do a little bit of a gear giveaway as well. So I've been very fortunate to get some awesome stuff and I might as well, we'll make some kind of fun game out of it. Just a way that people can, um, listeners can just get some some good gear and i'm also going to be giving away some some gear on our uh email list so remywarren.com if you're on that anybody that is on my email list um automatically every time we send out an email pretty much uh there is a giveaway of some kind we put the winner in there so you got to check to see if you're the winner so if you see an email from me it's always good to open it because <laughs> you never know your name might be on that next one um so something to look forward to and then oh as a uh, another note the outdoor class uh, that I did, I, it's, um, I've got a full video tutorial essentially on A to Z mule deer hunting, really kind of diving into uh, – it's a lot of tactics that I think were best described through video and just kind of going A to Z, my thought process when it comes to hunting mule deer. I think it's a pretty extensive look at mule deer hunting and through outdoor class, there's other modular – like other courses as well. Um, a lot of stuff from some great hunters, some elk stuff, some cooking stuff, and more is being added. I'm working on my next my next course right now. Um, so that's something that uh, if you want to check it out, uh, go to Outdoor Class. And what I said earlier was anybody – so I've got my own code. And what I'm doing with the code is you get a little bit of a discount, which is awesome for you. And then everybody that uses – like just put code REMI. It's just my name in there, R-E-M-I on out you can go outdoorclass.com or find it through my website um and what i'm doing with that is kind of like any kind of special giveaway that i do through outdoor class uh everybody that signs up for whatever uh is eligible for that but i'm also doing um next thursday it uh let's see 6 30 p.m pacific time I'm going to be doing a – it's the Thursday, July 28th. I'm going to be doing kind of like an e-meeting where you can log on and we're going to do um, 
just kind of a Q&A, a little bit of a meet and greet. Like I don't know how many people will be able to show up. Um, if you also, if you use that code, you'll have access to that, uh, video later. I'll just email it to you. If you missed it, if you're like, Hey, I want to know what they talked about, but I just can't make it. Um, but for the people that do get on the, it'll just be like a e-meeting, uh, for the people that do get on, I've got some gear stuff too, that I'm going to give away through that. So that'll be fun. And just thank you guys for the support for that. I, I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to that. So hopefully I will see you guys next Thursday night. And then we've got, we're going to be doing next Thursday morning a call-in q a and so you can check my social media for more details on that at remy warren i appreciate you guys so much thank you so much for everything you guys do um i really i really do appreciate the support so until next week let's just say be good planners plan it up mm-hmm.